This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. On today's episode, <laughs> we have me. And me. And, and you. We have and us. You. you. And you, the audience who's listening to us. We always have you and for you is why we do this. I mean, we talk to each other all the time. So, I mean, we don't monologue just for ourselves because we have a lot of those. But this is for you. And we are happy that you have have still tuned in, that you clicked on this, that you're still that you're still listening to us. You haven't heard us for, I mean, how long has it been since? I don't even remember when we last published an, ep- an episode. I can find out. I'm going to guess it was, was it, was it, was it August? Was it August? Was, was our last episode in August? That's our my guess. Last episode. I could be wrong. July was August twenty fourth. Oh, there you, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't wrong. August. It was our last time, and that was about, a, like a little over a month before our wedding. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we just got really, really immersed in wedding planning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you got really, really immersed in wedding planning. Um, I mean, you were we planning did. the wedding too. Come on. Oh, come on. Like, so the stereotype is always that, you know, the, the women do all the wedding planning, especially older brides. There's like that bridezilla label that gets put to older women who like have been thinking about their wedding since they're little girls playing with dolls. And then, yeah, and then they, they just go nuts, you know, micromanaging every detail. And that wasn't me. That was um, me. And, and so, no, I wasn't. I wasn't like that. <laughs> no, you were. You were not bridezilla, groomzilla, or whatever the groom version is. Um, but you did do. You were not the stereotype of the man who just shows up to the event and they're like, just yeah, I'm here. You did all the work. You actually put in way more work than me. And 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 the wedding, the wedding, not getting married wasn't my idea, but although it was both of our ideas. But the the actual big wedding that we did, and it wasn't that big, like seventy five people. But the wedding that we had, even the size we had and, and sort of how things went was my idea in the sense that that's what I wanted. That was my dream and what it was super important to me to have the people I love there, my family, my friends, and to enjoy this moment, our moment of, and the reason is because we, I feel like on an individual level, I fought long and hard to get into a healthy relationship. I feel like unless you've been in a bad relationship, I mean, I was in in one of those but like unless you've gone through an unhealthy relationship it's hard to realize how difficult a good relationship is going to be how scary that is to change past to change courses to be in something that where you can feel free to be yourself where you can feel free to be accepted as you are and for those reasons um that was really important for me to kind of honor what I've been through as an individual to get into a healthy relationship and also for us as a couple, what we've been through in the in the last five years, like I've talked about it before, but yeah, you don't you you don't start cross border dating and usually imagine that some global pandemic is going to go down and separate the two of you where you can't even cross the border into each other's country, especially Canada, the U.S. Like, yeah, there are some other country borders where you would be yeah. taking a pretty big risk, but the U.S. and Canada, that's not a country border that you would imagine. Hey, this this might shut down at some point. Never in history has it has it happened. And and from a Canadian perspective, like 
I'll put it this way for Americans. Uh, most of you guys don't live near a Canadian border, um, but most Canadians live near the American border. Like most Canadians live the, an if you look at all the Canadian cities, the major ones, they're about an hour away or less from the yeah, American border. Yeah, and the border. reason so, for that is because you go too far from the American border and you're now in territory that's uninhabitable for a good chunk of the year. Very cold. I mean, already where I live is pretty cold in Montreal, but yeah, you don't want to go up too too far north. I mean, most of most of Canada is uninhabitable because it's too cold, or there's too, and there are there are people who do live in those climates and who have have been living there um, before before Europeans crossed and colonized the place, and who are very familiar with how to navigate that kind of weather. Um, but for a lot of us, no, we do, we just don't have the have the knowledge and generations of doing this. And so we live near the American border. We cross over often. Canadians are very, Canadians are very familiar with Americans in the U S because we travel to the, most Canadians have a passport and I don't know that that's true the other way around. I don't think it is. I think Canadians are more well-traveled. Probably. Um, yeah. The hot, the, there's certainly a higher percentage of Canadians who carry, who are, who have a passport than there are of Americans who have a passport. I guess I just, um, <clears throat> grew up in an environment where it was assumed that you would have your passport. Um, I guess for me being, um, you know, first generation American, um, it just makes sense for me to have my passport since so many of my relatives do not live in this country. Um, right. So I guess I'm just used to the idea of having a passport, but yeah, now that I'm like talking about it, I, I'm kind of curious, like, um, what percentage of Americans have a passport versus stuff we're going to be Googling no. later? I know, right? <laughs> we we fall down the Google machine. Like even the whole, you know, uh, longest undefended border in the world, Canada, US, Nate and I actually did the rabbit hole, fell down it just to find out, is it the longest undefended border? And we came up with some interesting facts. That it, we, is, I don't even remember. it is, it is definitely the longest undefended border in the world That's um, if you between two countries, but it's Alaska, also... Right? Yeah, that's if you include Alaska. But it, even without Alaska, it is the longest undefended contiguous border um, between, you know, the Canada and the lower 48. But it's also, including Alaska, just straight up the longest border between two countries in, in, the, the, world. in the world. Right. That kind of makes <laughs> it easy to win that one. Yeah. Yeah. But like we went down a whole rabbit hole looking up all the borders in the world. And this is what we do. We just I don't know who else is like that, but. Maybe it's an ADHD thing. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, it, when it comes to Americans and passports, so you you have one because your family, your relatives, your your grandfather lives and lived in Japan, your grandma before they passed, and your you still have cousins and relatives there, and you go back and visit. A lot of Americans have family that's only in the U.S. That's also common for a lot of people, not everyone. And also, the U.S. kind of has a lot of different climates. Like I feel like you could. If you want to go to a snowy mountain and go skiing, you've got Colorado. If you want to go to a sunny beach that has more of a warm climate, you've got Florida. Or if you want to go to the desert or like I feel like the U.S. kind of has a little bit of every like it has all different kinds of like within within its own within its own border. You don't have to or borders. You don't have to go to another country to experience something completely different. You've got very, very urban areas. You have very, very rural areas. We've got national parks, you know, we've got, you know, so the U.S. definitely has a lot, which then, uh, you know, I guess makes people complacent and... You don't need to travel the world, you can travel the U.S., it's huge. Yeah, exactly. And they don't feel like they have to go outside of the U.S. in order to experience something different. And plus, America's the best. It's the greatest. 
there's no better country. Than this. Right, Sorry. right, right. <laughs> I, so I'm just talking practically. We I can, am joking around. Yeah. Just... So practically speaking, I understand, but there's definitely a benefit to getting outside of this country and experiencing what life is like elsewhere and people's perspectives of the world outside of this country. Because let's face yeah. it, staying in one country your entire life and never going anywhere else can uh, foster a lot of ignorance. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you know, the reason why I'm with you as an American uh, is because of the kind of American you are. I think that kind of American who believes that being patriotic means you think the U.S. is better than everyone else and you can't say anything negative about its history or anything it's ever done or doing is super highly problematic. Oh, and, that's the kind uh, of American I am, didn't you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm always entertained when Canadians meet you and they're like, are you a Trump fan? I'm like, do you guys really think I would be with one of those? Like, come on. Like, you know me? <laughs> like, how could I be with an American like that? It would. There's no way that would ever work out for me. And, and we wouldn't be together if you hadn't been up to Montreal and like, you know, the Canadians, uh, Montreal Canadians were your favorite hockey team. And that's how we ended up online starting conversation. And it's just fascinating to me that Montreal had been a city you came up to regularly to visit. And I'm like, oh, what what does an American think of wanting to come to Canada and wanting to visit Canada and explore? And I mean, I think Montreal is one of the most beautiful cities in North America. I haven't been around outside of North America enough to make those kind of statements. But like, you know, culture is very French here. Um, it's one of those only cities where you're going to I mean, maybe if I go far south enough in the U.S., I'll see signs that are just in Spanish everywhere I go um, and feel like I'm in a different place. But I feel like if you're in Canada, it's one of those, those places where it's it's the law, the laws of the land are that it's French everywhere. And so you'll really feel like you're in a European city and you're outside of outside of North America while, when you're in Montreal. And it's a beautiful city. It's got a lot of old architecture and beautiful cathedrals and um, it's just it's diff there's just so many beautiful things about Montreal and the fact that you loved my city and that you would come here regularly before you ever met me kind of is beautiful to me. Um, and I can't say that I've ever, I had been to Wildwood, New Jersey. That's where all the Quebecers go. But I hadn't, New Jersey less, but New York City was, and you're very close. You're like, I mean, our place is 20 minutes outside 20, of Manhattan. Yeah, 20 minutes. Wow. No traffic. No traffic. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the night. It's a half hour. From a yeah. It's a half hour train ride. And that. Mm -hmm. that we can safely say is very little traffic yeah. yeah 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 i take public transit and it works well but yeah so like you know i had gone down to new york city it was one of my favorite my mine and my daughter's favorite place to go visit every canadian thanksgiving i would take the long weekend and uh visit my mom's brother who lived an hour away from from new york city in connecticut and we would go into the city that's what we'd spend our time doing and so that was my favorite city and has been outside of my country for a long time, New York City. And it's just funny that Montreal was in your top city list, too. And we were always traveling to right next to each other. And it's just it's one of those weird if you believe in fate things. And I don't necessarily that. But it's just cool. Like, I look back and I'm just like, it's fascinating that you were when we first dated and you were first in Montreal, you'd been around my city enough to know places and to have experiences and memories to tell me about, you know, all oh, my 30th mm -hmm. birthday when we came up here. And, and I was like, it's just, I don't know. It's beautiful. It's special. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm So we're married now. We're married. <laughs> this is our first podcast episode as husband. Hey, hubby. Hubby. Ew. He hates when I call him. <laughs> 
Actually, I think the only thing that you might hate more than hubby being called hubby is me being called wifey. Being called wifey. So, so now wifey. you know how to shut me up when I go hubby. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so yeah, speaking of marriage. Of getting married. Wedding. Wedding. Yeah. yeah. I think you had you had some stuff you wanted to say about our wedding. I am happy with our wedding. I actually, on Facebook, asked people to give me their disaster stories on their wedding just to see if there's anything I forgot that I need to do before our wedding, you know, like by listening to people's disaster stories. And man, the stories people had of like what went wrong on their wedding was ho- like, it was horrifying. And everyone was reading and adding in their own. There was just so many shock reactions on everyone's posts. Like people had crazy stories. And like, I look back and I'm like, everything went so smooth and you did a great planning job babe like just i'm floored at how everything went so well and i think like my biggest sadness is just the day was so so beautiful and so meaningful and so overwhelmingly emotional for me that it's uh, i feel like i couldn't take it all in at, at once you know just the day felt like a, like it passed as a blur and so when people are talking mm. to me about stuff for my wedding i'm appreciating the little chance to relive because it felt like everything went so quick um, some lovely examples. I mean, I could get into so many things, but I'll just try and handpick the more interesting stuff for people listening. But we got to meet some of our fellow Dauntless podcasters for the first time, people who had been our friends, who we had been in communication and community with, who we've talked to online so many times, you know, mm-hmm. for podcast stuff, but even just chilling and hanging. Yeah, even just um, hanging out or, you know, in, on our long drives between Montreal and New Jersey hopping on the phone with with uh with mm-hmm. at least one of these friends so yeah and so yeah. i, I want to say thank you to these people for their friendship and for their support of us um mm-hmm. yeah so were you gonna name we're, drop we're, is that what you were gonna do of now? course we're gonna uh, name drop okay, who okay. our friends are and if you're <laughs> not in this list it doesn't mean you're not our friends but maybe we just didn't get to know you as well or as long like okay so jessica and scott were at our wedding um, and Jessica is somebody who you're talking about our phone friends, but like, I hate talking on the phone. Like I am not a phone person. <laughs> um, the only people who don't know I'm not a phone person are my best friends and you, because you, I talk to you guys all the time on the phone. Um, and my sister maybe. Uh, apart from that, like, I just, I don't like the phone. I like to see people's facial expressions. I don't like to feel like I have to talk to someone when I don't feel ready to talk to, I don't know. Phones just scare me. I, those people who are not phone people understand me, but uh, I remember early on when you and I started chatting before we were even dating, you know, you were like, hey, could you call me? Because you want to explain something. We we're having just online messenger conversations. And I remember being like, oh, I hate the phone. I don't want to do that. And I'm so well, glad we I did. to do that anyway at some point. <laughs> well, we I didn't know it was heading in the keep... direction it was heading. No, I mean, like before we ever started dating and I was just like this mm-hmm. guy I've just chat with on Messenger randomly. Like, why do I have to get on a phone conversation? I don't have to get on on a phone conversation. Okay. And you anyway, just... so so our friends <laughs> <laughs> getting sidetracked. I'm glad I did get on the phone conversations with you right, that I did right. and it got had me get to know you. But um, yeah, Jessica, she's somebody who I, you know, when I'm taking my long drives down to New Jersey, I've had a lot of long conversations with her. She's somebody I consider a friend. And and I think in the deconstruction world, you know, a lot of people, you know, are linked up with people for connection for platforming reasons or like just networking in more of a, I don't know, businessy kind of way. You know, just sort of supporting each other's work. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the networking aspect of it. You know, there's nothing wrong. Right. I I don't think per, you, you know, can't be friends with everyone, right? You know? Exactly. But it also, you know, there is. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to like you know throw 
throw shade on people who meet with the people that we connect with online through these podcasts and other networks and communities um, and, and meet in person for the sake of, of building their, you know, whatever it is they're working on, whether it's their podcasts, their books, their blogs, their, you know, e magazines, whatever it is that they are. I don't, you know, I'm the doing that meeting people for the sake of that. That's awesome. Even meeting people for the sake of just building a network. That's totally fine too, but we're not those kinds of people. Yeah, I'm not really here to address how other people function. It's more how I how we function, how I function. I am I I just I'm not I'm a quality over quantity kind of person and and I like to go deep in my friendships with people and I don't have the time to like I just do don't have the time or energy to like try and keep tabs with like a thousand different people I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not good at that. I have relationships where the people who are close to me know me very very well and can address things with me when things go down because they know me well. And yeah, so it's and and I know those relationships build over time. It's not like things start off that way all the right. time. Right? No, of know? course not. And so it's fun. It's fun for relationships. You know, when I when I think of of the fun of building community outside of evangelicalism and coming out of high control religious environments, um, it's neat when you meet people and then you talk to them online for a while. I mean, you and I met online and had a lot of those groups in common. Um, which, you know, wasn't what made us start talking to each other, but we wouldn't have bumped into each other online if we didn't mm-hmm. have mutuals from those groups in common. Right. And, you know, you can develop, I guess I'm g- getting into this because it's beautiful to know that you can develop real life relationships with people, deep, meaningful friendships. And I don't mean to say if you haven't met in person, it's not a real life relationship. Those relationships, those people we met at our wedding were our real life friendships before mm-hmm. we met live. Yeah, even before we but met them in person, yeah. Right, and that was why it was so exciting. And that's why they got invited to a wedding because they were yeah. friends, yeah. right? There was there was very few people we had at our wedding who were not good friends with the book. Actually, everyone was knew the both of us, unless it mm-hmm. was your cousin in Japan who had never been to North America since I've been with you, right? right. Like everyone else had known you, met you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very few exceptions in that regard, except family that lives super far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was special in that way. And and uh, and Jessica, I just have to shout her out because when I was stressing over all the wedding planning, she was like, you know, thinking like, and this is the kind of person she is and the kind of friend she's been, you know, you know, she's like, how can I help? And then she like, I was just t- talking through logistics and and I had a hairdresser who was doing my hair and um, my sisters and another one of my friends, which could only do so many people's hair. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like my daughter. There were still other people that I didn't, you know, didn't know how I was going to cover everyone. And, I was, you know, we had budget. <laughs> we had a budget. And Jessica's like, I'm good at hair. You know, I have a lot of daughters. I have a lot of problems with hair that I've done. And I can, I can, if this will take some stress off you, I'll come down and I'll help you. And she was there the morning of my wedding. Just like so you guys understand when you're listening to an episode with us and Jessica to understand the the fun of our relationship and the person she is and the connection we have. She actually like made my wedding day awesome by mm. being there by, she got my flower girl's hair done, my daughter's hair done, one of my bridesmaids. Um, and she was helping to iron out steam, steam out creases in my wedding dress the morning of, and just present um, and helpful and thoughtful. Um, and I just so appreciated her and, and uh, I just feel really thankful that I have friends like that in my life who would like, you know, come all the way from Texas to New York City to be like, I'm so, and so excited. I'm so excited to be there and to help you in any any single way. And I just feel really lucky yeah. and I'm really thankful. And I was happy that we got to meet Scott, even though we spent less time with Scott. We actually had like 
three copies of Scott's book that we wanted him to sign <laughs> oh, that right. never, yeah, never because we got do, signed. I, I do plan on, on taking care of that at some point so that we can have a little giveaway on the podcast. But, well, you know, yeah. whenever it is we get around to that. Might have to wait until after the holidays just because, you know, we're we're swamped and I'm sure Scott's pretty busy as well. Um, mm-hmm. So he's not going to have the time to deal with shipping and whatnot, but we will do what we can to get some, uh, some autographed copies of Scott's book out to some, some of our listeners. Um, it's a really good book. If you haven't read it yet, it's called Asian American apostate. So this mm-hmm. is, this is a plug for Scott's book, um, as a way of saying, thank you for coming and being supportive and being, uh, you know, being a part of our wedding. That was fun. I'm happy we got to meet him in person. I felt it's so weird when you meet someone in person, you feel like you already know them. And when you have online relationships, that's kind of the thing that happens is you feel like you know them pretty well. And and it's not like you're shocked when you meet them and you're like, who is this? You're like, oh, yeah. Like It just feels like you've known them, like you've already met them uh, because you have (laughs) just Mm -hmm. in a different medium. Right. Um, Right. So so that was cool. I think the other thing from our wedding that I wanted to say, yes, this was a tangent I wanted to go on. Oh, before you go on that tangent, though, um, okay. since you were since we were on on the topic of uh, of Jessica and um, and her friendship and and support of our wedding, um, we we do have um, an upcoming episode with Jessica. Then yes. that we're going to be talking about that actually is long, long overdue. We recorded it a long time ago, and before we're finally, our wedding, yeah, but we recorded it before, before our wedding. Before we even met yeah. her in person, right? Right, so. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the topic of that conversation was new at the time. It's not so new now, but I think it's still worth bringing up. Um, but it was a documentary series on Amazon prime called, um, shiny happy people. So, um, and, and Jessica grew, grew up or was a part of that cult when she was a child. So, um, she came on to talk about that. So stay tuned for that episode. Um, but just wanted to to put that plug out there. And also Jessica has her own podcast uh, called leaving the village, which is about her experiences um, in that cult that is um, analyzed in the documentary series. So just wanted to put Mm -hmm. that out there so that people are aware um, that is who we are talking about. That very same Jessica. That same Jessica. And if things seem like, uh, like we're talking about things, I think maybe in that podcast episode, or maybe it's the Patreon, um, extra extended edition we'll throw out later on, um, where we, we stuck around and talked about movies and talked about uh, feminism and talked about Barbie and talked about, I mean, shows that this was rec- recorded, <laughs> during, <laughs> yeah. you know, before our wedding, cause Barbie had just been fresh out and we were talking about, um, Asian American representation in movies. And that's going to be just exclusive to our Patreon. We're going to drop that at the same time as her yeah. episode. Um, her episode with us on uh, Shiny Happy People will be available for everyone. And our, I think after we started cracking out the whiskey and drinking and talking about Barbie, that's our tipsy conversation will be just for our Patreons. <laughs> where yeah. We just unload. But we had a lot of good mu- movie suggestions if you want to get into Asian, good Asian movies. Uh, we talked a lot about feminism and women representation. Uh, and Jessica had mentioned, I will say that she had mentioned in that Patreon episode, uh, a documentary. No, it wasn't a documentary. It was, no, it was based a on a, it was a movie based on, based loosely on an actual cult. Um, and well, it was based on a it, book, um, that was, the book itself was very loosely based on the events that took place, um, within this other Mennonite cult. Called the Manitoba something or other. Mm-hmm. But basically the movie, it was called, um... 
women talking and she gave a huge plug for how great it was <laughs> and again that'll be available to our patreons but she talks about our patrons patrons on patreon got to get this all straight in my head mm. some of you understand the, the t- tongue twisterness of all that but yeah so she she was going on about it and then it's funny because recently we sat down and actually watched it and i don't remember even that episode that we had recorded where jessica was telling us about how amazing it was i'm like yeah i'm gonna put that on our list and you know you tell people i'm putting it on the list but you don't have a written list and you never get back to anything on that list well we accidentally got back to that list without even realizing it (laughs) and then we were listening to her commentary on it and i was like that was great and it was even more fun after we'd actually watched it and yeah yeah i would give a plug for women talking Mm -hmm. um if you're into uh, watching movies that are intense, um, that are powerfully done on just uh, cult-related stuff and what it looks like to exit out, you know, high-control uh, authoritarian groups. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of our listeners might be able to identify with it. Obviously, it's more extreme because it's very... And the topic's really hard. Um, I, I would Google it and get yeah, a summary before I, you yeah, get it, into it. it there, there's like all sorts of, you know, trigger warnings for that movie. You know, so so uh, approach with caution. I think it's it's very very tastefully done, but the material, the content is very very heavy. Very heavy. It's a very difficult topic. Um, so I it might be a good idea to go ahead and read a synopsis before diving into the movie itself. Um, As a Canadian, but, I did not realize that the person who put that movie together, uh, the producer, is Sarah Polly, who is very well known in Canada. She was like the, one of the main characters on Road to Avonlea. Again, Canadian TV show. All Canadians will know what I'm talking about. Americans will be like, maybe some of you might know. I don't know. But uh, I, I didn't know till after the fact that she was actually the one behind that. Uh, another strong Canadian woman presence. I always have to shout those things out. It's my Canadian pride mm-hmm. coming through. Um, but yeah, I recommend that. What else have we been been do we want to get into what we watched we'll get back to what we'll, we'll get back watching. to that we'll make that we'll get, i want to go yeah. back to the wedding stuff the wedding yeah. stuff before yeah. i lose my train of thought on that um yes were you finished your thought before i got into my name no uh yes i was yes okay <laughs> i think so continue just <laughs> okay go i'll ahead. continue all right so i don't know how many of you find weddings to be triggering or just highly stressful or like you come into them and your whole body just starts reacting to the fear of what's coming because you've gone through enough evangelical weddings. I mean, I've attended a lot of evangelical weddings and all my years of being evangelical, but also I did wedding photography for a long time. So I've been behind the camera in weddings that I wasn't attending, but just sort of attending as a photographer. Like I've just been to a lot of evangelical weddings and they've been horrible. Like on my end, They've been awful, I think, for any woman who's been divorced or anyone who's not straight. Or I'm trying to think of all the different situations where I feel like... single people. As a single person, I hated going to weddings. Christian weddings can be, in particular... Because I I can contrast, like, the Mm, mm non-Christian weddings I've been to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I remember I went to, um, I think it was a Hindu wedding, as a single person. And I had a blast. It was so much fun. I didn't feel inferior in any way, but I've been to so many evangelical weddings as a single person, especially if you go as a single person without a date, it just feels so uh, isolating and uncomfortable. And you feel inferior. You feel like a second-class citizen at these things. 
What would what would you like if somebody's never been to evangelical weddings and they're listening? What would be like the examples of how weird it gets and like the stuff that's so evangelical at weddings, Ooh, like that you um, probably might not get outside of evangelicalism. It just ends up tied into the whole thing, and it's and I think evangelicals don't even notice it goes on because it's just so part of the culture and so common for these things to happen. Yeah, there's like what makes you uncomfortable as a single person. Yeah, there there's um, there's this assumption that um, you are. You know, the, the, the message of he who findeth a wife findeth a good thing or, you know, in favor with God, right? So, um, you know. They don't quote quote from Paul that it's better to be single. <laughs> right. So, and no, no, only no. get married if no. you're an inferior person right. so that you're not burning with lust. So well, just get married to, if you're weak and you can't yeah. handle it. Well, you know. They don't preach um, that no, part of Paul. But they, they, will, they, will, they will talk about how you need to get married. Because they'll and they do they do at least some of the weddings that I've been to might refer to that passage, but not talk about how that's a weak, you know, uh, the weak thing to do. But instead, um, put it in there as, um, you know, all men burn with lust. You know, that's just who we are as men. Therefore, so you need to get married. All men need to get married so that they stop sinning and burning with lust. So we. We basically help fix your beast, your beast, gross, yeah, the inner tendon, the, yeah. the inner horribleness of men. Mm-hmm. Women are there to your marriage is going to fix that problem. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. And and so, you know, so there's there's that sense of you're broken because, you know, you're you're just completely governed by your lust, but you have no outlet for them. The only out the only, you know, healthy, safe outlet for it is marriage and therefore get married because you're going to m- remain a broken, you know, lust filled um, person there's so women get to be the objects of just being yeah. being yeah. penis receptacles i don't even know how to how to word it well, <laughs> other I mean, way like that's... we're there to yeah yeah i mean that's fix, what that's what mark you. driscoll would say um mm-hmm. and and then there's also the the messaging um i mean you know as as a guy that's what i heard um or that's how i felt about you know attending these weddings there's always the that sense of um you know, like like I was saying, you know, the the passage: "He who finds a wife finds a good thing and and favor with God." And and so, in order to have favor with God, right? Like this is sort of the logical steps that you start to to go down mentally in order to find favor with God. You need to find a wife, um, and so you are out of favor with God if you um, if you don't if you aren't actively pursuing marriage. So mm-hmm. that is the that is the 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 logical next step for you. You can't just be single and be happy. You have to be miserable as a single person because you need as a, your singleness is only for you the haven't found purpose. the good thing right. yet. Exactly, exactly. I remember I was actually watching a a, a YouTube channel. This uh, there's this YouTube atheist YouTube YouTube channel um, hosted by a woman named Emma Thorne. And she was, she had stumbled on, uh, I don't know if, if you're aware of Girl Defined, but it's this, uh, this pair of sisters, they're ultra conservative. Um, and Ooh, they, that's bringing back some memory. Maybe. Yeah. And they kind of, um, you know, feed off of each other with this really like, it's like super awkward, <laughs> super awkward homeschooly type vibes. Um, okay. but they like to talk about relationships as well. One of them has released uh, a sex course for oh for women, for one for married women and one for single women, um, oh boy. and it's biblical. You know, 
<laughs> following biblical oh. norms for sex and relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what, what she mentioned. So she saw that uh, they talk about the season of singleness, so on and so forth. How to make your se- season of singleness a success or something along those lines. Treating singleness like a season, like it's like it's not... You got to weather the storm. You mm-hmm. just got to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. You're in like the desert and you got to get into the... the... Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was that. That's the um, that's a long tangent, but yeah. Mm. I I'm glad you brought up the messaging for women because I want to speak to that. I you know when I was, we were talking about Paul, you know the the passages of Paul that I often hear at weddings that I find disgusting, um, are the passages about you know wives submitting and it's you know even though there's Paul and I love. <laughs> I love the idea of, and our our reverend said this at our wedding. You know, Paul was a very conflicted or had very conflicting messages, and um, and it's true because you know, in one verse you have submit one to another, and then you have wives submit to your husbands, and you can get into the original and see that actually that word was added in by translators, and there's so many co- side conversations about how the Bible's been put together and how patriarchy has influenced all of that. Um, and I have my thoughts on how the Bible itself has some patriarchal messaging, which is not a popular take by people who just want to imagine that, no, like, patriarchy is not a biblical thing. And, and they do a lot of Bible benevolence. And I'll just give credit to that term for for Jill. Um, oh, her full name is not coming to me. But Straight White American Jesus has an episode with her called The Good Book. It's her book. Anyway. I'm I'm rambling on and I want to get back on the path. But basically that idea of submission that Paul brings up, I have sat through weddings where uh, women are just being Sorry, told to submit. Sorry, real quick, just so that we can put it in there. Uh, her name is Dr. Jill Hicks-Keaton. Thank you, Nate. She's the Associate Professor the of Religious Studies at the University of Oklahoma. and she I'm wrote glad the, he's Googling yeah, in the, the book, background. Uh, the book is entitled um, the Good, Good book. book, How White Evangelicals Save the Bible to Save Themselves. Okay. It is a fascinating topic how white evangelicals save the Bible to save themselves. And it's made me rethink of the whole concept of inerrancy and what is the what is the point of it? Why does it function the way it does? What is it trying to achieve? Um, and essentially just holds up a lot of white guys <laughs> and their authority. And that's the point of trying to preserve that concept of the Bible that does have a lot of things in it that are harmful towards women. And and when even when people are like, yeah, but. Jesus was revolutionary towards women. And I used to say that all the time. And it's true. There are some passages where Jesus says and does things that are even things that can be perceived as harmful to women, like talking about like I've had people throw the the passages of divorce at me being like, you know, Jesus said God hates divorce. And and then all you need is a tiny bit of brain power, like for these patriarchal men throwing this at women in abusive relationships, which I had done <laughs> to try and shut me down from the idea of leaving a bad marriage. Um, just a small amount of digging. And it's like, could women, did women have legal rights to pursue a divorce? No. Then they were not the person this passage was addressed to. Oh, it was addressed to men. Men were being told not to divorce. Well, why? And how would that affect women? Oh, let's see. Men were divorcing women whenever they didn't get whatever they wanted. And so they were using divorce as a threat to leave women destitute. Because in that society that was patriarchal, women who were not married or who were divorced were stigmatized or who couldn't provide for themselves or, you know, were dependent on men. So Jesus was actually looking out for women in that passage. And so I think... There are some things that are looked at in scripture as, look, Jesus is being mean. And it's actually the opposite. He's advocating for women. But then there are other past, And that, that's where I used to land as a progressive Christian for, for a big chunk of time. But then you do a tiny bit of digging and you, you come across a passage where, you know, a woman is asking Jesus to heal their, their child. And 
he starts talking about them and comparing them to a dog. And the woman starts pushing back on him. And eventually she gets what she wants. And Jesus re- like changes his mind and changes his course. And is he's actually challenged by her. But Jesus was wrong. Like his approach to her, like unless, and I think that book, uh, the good book, and I haven't read it, but listening to her talk about the damage done to women when we try and defend patriarchal bullshit in the Bible. You know, when we don't acknowledge that there are, that there is patriarchy in the Bible, you know, and, uh, and she talks about Bible benevolence being that act of trying to make the Bible good. And I don't want to give it all away. But yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. all that to say, you know, people sometimes don't want to look at the uglier parts of scripture and admit that they're not, it's not all great. You know, uh, slaves submit to your masters, not only when they're good to you, but also when they're cruel and nasty. That's in the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament. It's there. And some of the ways Jesus spoke to women was great. And other times Jesus had some work to do. And mm-hmm. I know if you grew up evangelical, you're not allowed to think that. You're not allowed to consider that. But it's nice to be in a place where I could be honest about the impact of Scripture and how mm-hmm. it gets used and how it's been used throughout history. And it's something I'm very passionate about, something I've been thinking a lot about. And yeah, I've been sitting through weddings my whole life, evangelical weddings, where women are told these are these become soapboxes for evangelical takes on relationships. And a lot of them are really harmful, whether it's telling women that they're secondary in their relationship. They're there to serve their husbands and they keep hounding on about the order of everything, the order of creation and the order of men are the ones created first and they're the heads of the house. And there's a lot of that talk mm-hmm. um, down to shaming women for getting divorced. Uh, conversations on divorce within marriage and weddings I've seen have been awful. I've sat through and listened to stuff that has just, you know, in the, in the situation that I've come out, I've just been gross to sit and listen to. And so, all that to say, when we were planning our wedding, oh, and I didn't even touch on queer people and what that looks like in evangelical weddings, but they definitely get lots of hits, you know, but marriage yeah. was created for one man and one woman, and this is God's intention. Basically, evangelicals use weddings like they use funerals just to to kind of plug plug the dogma, to like hit, use that, those really high points, those really uh, tradition, those big traditions where people are emotional and where they're big events, meaningful events, ones that get you very reflective. And they use those to hammer home the dogma, um, whether it's against queer people, whether it's against women, single people. Oh, it's endless. It's endless. And when we were getting married, I remember thinking of how many friends that I know who've been harmed by church. Um, who've been sat through weddings and feel anxious even coming into our, you know, coming into a church, and <laughs> hearing, mm-hmm. hearing a wedding, like what it would trigger. So we thought carefully through the messaging of our wedding. Um, the I mean, we're in an inclusive, affirming church where queer people lead or in leadership. And it's been healing for me to, to sit in the pews besides other queer people. And uh, yeah, I think I think there's still a lot to be learned from marginalized communities when it comes to liberation theology, queer theology, like I am not down with white evangelicalism, but I think we shouldn't lump all of the uh, Christians who are not white evangelical in with, (laughs) we shouldn't link up up the marginalized groups who've been harmed by white evangelical Mm -hmm. Christians in with the ones who are doing hard work, um, who have healthy messaging. And uh, I think you can acknowledge how Christianity has been harmful overall as a religion and still acknowledge that there are people within from marginalized communities that are adding a lot of... um, a lot of value and, and providing a lot of safe communities for people and doing a lot of good. And and mm-hmm. I'm thankful for the community that we've been a part of. It's a UCC church. Our reverend has been phenomenal. 
Um, and, and I also don't think everyone needs to be in church. So I don't want anyone listening to think that I'm trying to say, stay in the, just find a good church. No, I think yeah. it's not for everyone. And, uh, we're very privileged to have a place that is a safe community because I don't think most Christian communities are very safe. Yeah. And honestly, even, even in progressive Christian spaces, there, there's, um, uh, you know, we, we often hear people talking about how, you know, you exit evangelicalism, but you're bringing evangelical attitudes with you, even if you're leaving behind evangelical dogma and belief systems. And that's true. Um, and, and some of those actions and, and, um, practices, uh, can find their way into progressive Christian circles and progressive churches. Even I want to get into not... that. Yeah. You want you want can, to get into can that? I put a pin in that? But okay. I because I wanted to say some other stuff first. But can we get back to that? Okay. To what evangelicals carry with them outside? Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's a conversation that I do want to get into today. Yeah. But just going back to the wedding, and just to summarize my point of where I was going with that, you know, I'm in a healthy community, but I don't say that to say go find one. Um, I don't think even if you had a healthy com- Christian community near you, you might be done with Christianity. That's valid. Part of not being evangelical is I don't feel everyone needs to be in church. <laughs> like, I don't feel like yep. if you if you didn't find another community, there's something wrong with you. I, I've left that behind. And I think being an atheist is legit. But I'm also not here to shit on people who are in a marginalized community who have still have some sort of Christian practice, faith, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, um, unless they're harming people. And then, and if that's the case, I will always have, have words for that and have stuff to say against it. And I won't shut up. But um, for our wedding, I was thinking very much of the people I know who've been a part of my evangelical background and you know, who who need to hear this messaging, who maybe are on the side of the people who preach these kind of harmful messages and need to hear a challenge because they only surround themselves by people who agree with how they think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, yeah, people who might have come from that space. Uh, and then others who have sat through and been harmed and damaged in churches. And I was really thankful to hear to have those conversations with people afterwards and for people to bring that up to me because it wasn't something I set out to do in our wedding was to allow people to be challenged and to be comforted if they have been harmed in churches, um, mm-hmm. to be validated for who they are, uh, whether they're single or whether they're queer, whether they are marginalized in any other way. I mean, we talked about how you and I, you know, once upon a time would, I mean, the U.S. not a long time ago would not be allowed to get married, right? Like people paved the way for you and I as an interracial couple to get married. And, so and Christians have landed on the wrong side of that in history. That's a reality in the U.S. Um, so we just felt the need to stand up for other marginalized communities as well. And so where was I going with all that? I'm thankful because I have heard some people talk to me afterwards about how they just attended an evangelical wedding that was traumatizing and they were headed into another and sitting there and hearing in a church hearing. And I think that's what I get out of my church community, because a lot of my beliefs are sort of like much more agnostic category. Like I don't the faith stuff is very hard to resonate with me. But I think looking around me and in this building, hearing gay people affirmed, hearing social, like hearing all the opposite messaging has been healing for me deep down inside of me. So I, I was glad to be able to invite people into my space to feel what that's like. Um, And if you are a part of our Patreon, I'm going to throw up uh, some not our entire wedding I probably won't put our vows into there so there's a lot of personal stuff but I'll I'll put the sermon in and I'll put um, my friend who spoke and our reverend and just the overall messaging of our wedding in case you uh, also have never heard some some counter messaging in case you have been in a wedding recently or attending one where you have felt traumatized 
I wanted to, to for those of you who support us and who who are our patrons, I wanted to to throw you something and give you a gift and share share some of our wedding with you. And I'm really excited with how that went. And um, it still makes me smile and it still makes me happy to know, yeah, that we were able, me and you, our personalities are very much that we don't shut up when injustices around us happen. We like speaking about it. That's why we're podcasters. And before we ever started podcasting, I mean, you and I have read each other rants back and forth that we've written on on Facebook, on blogs. Like we've always been like this, the two of us, before we ever met each other. So our wedding was very much just a reflection of who we are and the kinds of things that are important to us. And uh, yeah, so throwing throwing a shout out to our patrons. Go enjoy that. We'll we'll put that into our into our Yeah. Um it might it might be a little while because it that requires a little bit of uh, video editing. Editing. So we'll get there sit down and, and do that but we've got we've got some stuff that we're going to be um dropping into our uh, in. into our patreon um so yeah so sign up you know it's just five bucks a month and you get access to this stuff now granted we will always make our main podcast absolutely free like that's never like i, I don't ever want to create that system of like you know, uh, teasing people or, or trying to get you to, to sign up for Patreon in order to get access to any, anything that we do or talk about normally. But some of the stuff that isn't really, doesn't fall into, uh, our, our normal conversations or some of the excess that might not be all that fun, unless you're like close to us or, you know, as well, or you are very, very interested, we might throw that into our, uh, into our Patreon. So, so yeah, um, but we, uh, for those of you who do support us on, on Patreon, thank you. Like we don't, I know yeah. we don't often say thank you enough. Um, but yes, thank you. Some so of much. you have been a part of that, even though we're dropping nothing in there on the regular yeah. and you just support us. And that's really what that is for. It's not so you can have bonus this and that. It's like just your way of saying, Hey, we have the funds and we want to support you in what you're doing. And we know that you have bills to pay related to making this podcast that you're using this for. And we want to help you. And yeah. for you, we say thanks because mm -hmm. yeah, that makes a difference for the two of us. Yeah. Um, I think that was all I wanted to say about the wedding stuff. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you done with the wedding stuff? I'm done with the wedding stuff. But since we were plugging time. ways to support us, um, mm -hmm. another way that you can support us, if you, um, if you, if you can't, support us on patreon we totally understand one way that Money's you can tight. support us is by uh sharing and reviewing uh our podcast oh, on I itunes yeah mm -hmm. we really really um like the one of the best ways to to help spread the word about our show is to rate and review us on itunes those five-star reviews or five-star ratings go a long way towards or spotify yeah getting getting us or, out there spotify think, as well yeah i think on our website can people leave yeah you can leave reviews on our website um and that's that's helpful as well um though not quite as helpful as leaving For ratings and reviews on itunes and um, spotify though if you write a review on itunes it will show up on our website automatically mm. so yeah and and you know, this wasn't in our notes. We, me and Nate kind of jotted down some bullet points before we got talking. But, you know, we had a situation recently where I, I posted something that went viral on Full Mutuality. And basically, we got a whole bunch of nasty messages. And some people who came to leave reviews just don't really follow our stuff. But they were just really angry at what I put up. And guys, like, what? 
guys and girls, what I put up, <laughs> I have to say what I put up because I think it ties into so much of what we do. But I, I put a Leonard Cohen quote and he said, why don't women hurry up and take over the world already? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. You can look it up. It's a Leonard Cohen quote. It's yeah. out there. By the way, he's also a Montrealer for those who <laughs> have to do the plugs. I'm sorry. I love my love my city. Um, yeah. Very um, popular, well-known Montrealer. But Leonard Cohen, uh, yeah, wrote that. And I just shared it. I, was, I put it up on, on our uh, website and it went viral. And then it got shared by thousands of people. And then, then in came all the incels, all the man. The man-hating groups must have shared it around in some of theirs because it just... It, I mean, and the messages we got to our inbox, to me, to the, this vulgar, like sexual, like growth. I won't even repeat some of the stuff these guys were saying to me. But um, yeah, I it's I guess it was eye opening to me. I don't think we've ever gotten like such an onslaught at once of like inbox messages and reviews, negative reviews. So if you wanted to if you wanted to counterbalance that with because you've been appreciating what we're doing, we do appreciate that. Those of you who actually listen to us, because I think some people. Uh, see something they don't like, something we challenge them on. They haven't listened to anything we've done. They haven't even listened to our podcast. And I'll go write a review of something just like, screw you guys, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like because they're angry. And so for those who do enjoy us, please feel free to go rate us. We appreciate that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I, I guess the takeaway I had from the Leonard Cohen quote and why I'm bringing it up is it was a reminder to me on al- allyship because... I speak out from my perspective and my life experience as a woman on how I'm treated. And it never gets the amount of venom and anger that that post got. And I think when a man decides that he's going to betray the patriarchy and speak out, it creates a certain level of a stir and a certain level of anger among men who are toxic and harmful. And I say that because sometimes we don't realize the, I think as allies, Sometimes we don't think we can make a difference or we don't realize the impact. When guys stand up for women, they might not think it makes much of a difference. Um, but when I watched that reaction, I realized one man talking about how he wants to see women in charge made guys go nuts at a way that they would never get angry if I, as a woman, made the same statement. And I see that in other communities, other minority communities, where if you're speaking out for your own community, people say, oh, you're using the race card or you're using the victim card or like they they kind of talk down to you like, oh, you're just saying this because you want to be privileged when really they are the privileged group that's talking down to you, um, telling you that you need to, to stop speaking out. Um, but when you are from a privileged group, if you're a man, if you're white and you speak out towards <laughs> towards your own, I think that is very hard for people to listen to when they are being toxic because it really challenges them on a different core level. And I just want to encourage you, if you are white, you know, when you see your white family member being racist, just, yeah, say so. Speak out. Challenge it. Um, It's going to have a certain impact coming from you. And if you are a man and you are listening to another man say something harmful and you say something, um, yeah, it's going to really aggravate that man. Because there's a policing of what manhood should be that goes on, right? Where it's like, this is what a real man is and this is what a man can't be. And when you as a man decide, nope, I don't subscribe to your version of manhood. Nope, I don't agree with patriarchy. Nope, I think women leading is fantastic and I wish women would take over sooner. It's very frustrating to men who are very harmful towards women, who think women think very little of women and want women to shut up. Um, having guys support women <laughs> is frustrating to those toxic types. So I just want to give a plug to guys who do stand up. I mean, there's some guys who jumped into the comments even on that post and and challenged and pushed back. And I appreciated that. But yeah, um, 
keep do, keep i just want to encourage people to keep if you're in a privileged group and you feel a little bit like you can't do anything that's not true and your voice actually does make a difference and um you have a lot of a lot of clout in order to push back on those systems and you should this is hallie in salem oregon and you're listening to full mutuality have you seen the amazon prime docuseries shiny happy people were you shocked to hear the wholesome American Duggar family was involved in a cult? A cult full of abuse, sex, and religious trauma. A cult that claimed to educate children and planned to use them to take over the world. Have you wished you could sit down with an IBLP survivor and hear more of the story? Join hosts Jessica Goforth and Alexis Gray on Leaving the Village, a podcast by IBLP survivors centering their lived experiences and shining a light on all the hidden torment and harm they endured growing up in the cult shown on the groundbreaking docuseries. We have exclusive interviews with cast members where we laugh and cry and go behind the scenes with them as we discuss our shared experiences. If watching the documentary left you wanting more, check out Leaving the Village on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, everyone. I'm Jessica from the Leaving the Village podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Kathleen, Nate, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions they came from, please feel free to hop onto the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episode of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking on the link in the top banner. See you there. There is one topic that's definitely dominating world news right now. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because we got married uh, October 8th and, uh, I was kind of out of the loop on what was going on because leading up to our wedding, we were just crazy busy. And then, you know, you catch little flickers in your newsfeed of what's going on in the world. And then, you know, after things settled down, we got back from our honeymoon, you start really digging into what's happening in the world and understanding what is, you know, and so you probably all know exactly where I'm going with this. But day before our wedding, Hamas did their did their terror attack. And uh, it was disgusting. You know, what they did was awful. And yeah, I mean, that that that's just a reality of like, I don't have any buts to add on to that. You know, terrorist attacks are disgusting. And the Jews did not deserve that. Um, the Jewish people and the Palestinian people don't deserve terrorism. <laughs> um, so that happened the day before our wedding. And then the retaliation towards the Palestinian people. 
Uh, of course, under the guise from the Israeli government that they're rooting out Hamas has displaced millions of Palestinians and, ha- you know, just caused absolute horrendous, yeah, genocide is, is, is I'm just going to be plain what's happening. And, you know, you come out of evangelicalism and people are very, you know, whose side are you on? And there's no nuance and there's no... um Somebody has to be a bad guy and somebody has to be a good guy and you're either anti-Semitic or you're anti-Palestinian and like you're one you're one thing or the other and you can't be you can't care about everyone. You know, you have to pick a side and you have to like just live in that. And I think you can you can be too. You can be for everyone. You can want Palestinians to live in safety and care about the Jewish people and not want them to have terrorist attacks. You can do both of those things. And uh, I won't elaborate too much on this. I mean, I could probably go on for a long time. I will say uh, my thoughts and opinions very much reflect um, white straight American Jesus. Bradley Onishi uh, and Dan Miller did an episode on Palestine and Israel on a weekly roundup recently. Um, yeah, look for their episode in December that they did on a weekly roundup. And it just says that Palestine, Israel and the U.S. And I think... They really did a good job fleshing out the topic. So I don't want to go on too much about it. I'm bringing it up because it's happening in the world. And sometimes if someone doesn't say something, you can easily jump to conclusions that they don't care to speak out about something, that they don't care what's going on in the world. Um, Silence can be interpreted as you don't care. And I've been on that side of things where I've watched, you know, I've been in a situation where I'm being harmed or I've watched others being harmed and the people who should speak up go quiet on it because they don't want to be caught in any crossfires or they don't want to they just don't want to take the heat of what it means to stand up um so i do want to say something because it is important uh i think when there's genocide going on in the world we do need to say something and you can love jewish people and be upset about what the israeli government is doing right now and you could understand i need to add this in this again straight white american jesus covers all of these in much more detail but i mean as americans this should be very obvious how many people voted for Trump? Not the majority. Not not even the popular vote went to Trump. And even at that, if you take into consideration how many people didn't vote, if only 60% of people voted and then Trump got like 40-something percent, that means really like what? He has 30% or less of the actual people in the U.S. supporting him? Potentially. You know, I mean, and the numbers, you know, you don't know how many people abstained that might have voted Republican anyway. So give or take, right? But I mean, it's less than it's less than how many votes he got, right? Mm-hmm. If he got 40% of the 40 something percent of the popular vote, that's even less when you take into all the people who didn't vote. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that to say that if you can live in a country like the US and see a government going against so many people, like majority of people who live there do not agree with steps, decisions, language, political, everything, right? That's that's happened in the past. Uh, yeah, then you could see that that happens in other countries too and accept that. You know, a government does not speak for all of its people. You know, how a government performs and acts and behaves doesn't speak for all of its people. It's not representative of all Jewish people, what the Israeli government does. And that needs to be kept in view because people do retaliate by bombing synagogues and showing anti-Semitism when they can't make that distinction, you know, between the Israeli government and the Jewish people, you know. And so stuff to keep in mind. And I encourage people, I'm going to make a plug, go check out that episode of Straight White American Jesus. Um, Very informative, very thoughtful on this topic. And I don't want to take up, I guess, yeah, I feel like other people have covered this better than than I could. And and yeah, I wanted to give my thoughts anyway. Yeah. I'm going to add in just as a uh, 
springboard off of that, speaking of genocide, I know this is this topic isn't in our notes, but it is sort of relevant. And I feel like this could be taken as hyperbole. But if you look at any studies about and definitions for genocide and the steps that it takes to get to what we often think of in public discourse as genocide, currently we are in the early stages of a genocide attempt on trans people in the world, in the U.S., but in particular in the U.K. There's a lot of rhetoric going on um, in the U.K. among people in positions of power and leadership that are targeting trans people in that country. And a lot of the same sort of rhetoric has been going on here, let's be honest. The U.S. is known for it's uh, vitriolic anger towards um, towards trans people, and I think it's important to mention that you know these are these are things that are happening in in our world. Um, people's lives are in danger, and you know entire communities are on the verge of being wiped out. And this is there's there's violence being um, being enacted against uh, against trans people. So. Hmm. Yep. Super important. And if you are a cis person, yeah, if it doesn't affect you because you don't have a kid who's cis or there's no uh, kid who's trans or someone in your life that you love who's trans, <sighs> mm. take the time to care and love your neighbor, even if you are not dealing with the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, love one another. I don't even know how else to motivate people to care, but like, a lot of us are very privileged and we don't have ourselves constantly being threatened for, for being ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what else did you want to talk about? What else? What's going on? We did the world at large. Mm -hmm. What about what's going on in the deconstruction community? I don't know. That feels like a big can of worms. <laughs> there's always something um, going on. And yeah, there always... it is a big can of worms. Um, but you know, you were, you were, I, mean, mentioning... you know, I don't, I don't want to address specific people or situations, um, but I do. And, and I guess and part of that is I'm not here to tell people like, I don't like this person because they said this and you shouldn't follow them or this one. Like, I don't want to do, you know, what? love who you want to love, enjoy who you want to love. But I do want to address problematic things. So instead of addressing people or events, um, I don't know, maybe we can get into, you know, the stuff, the problems that we see happening. So. Maybe we can talk a bit about the deconstruction community at large and and patterns, things we see happening around us. Um, I mean, you brought it up before, you know, when people leave evangelical spaces and they walk into progressive ones, they can often take a lot of evangelical, you know, ideas with them. So I guess I wanted to just more specific. Right. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. they might and leave some to... of those ideas behind, but they are bringing with them practices and um, and habits. Yeah, and I think it's important to discuss how do we make it look different than what we came out of. So I think we need to ask those questions like what are the patterns people tend to repeat? What are the things we need to be if we're coming out of a place that tells us how to think? I mean, I feel like I'm already giving a point. <laughs> critical critical thinking, okay? Like I'm not here to tell you who to follow, like, or whatever. Like I'm not going to do that. But I do want to help provoke critical thinking. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen. So what are what are the things that we... Yeah, what are what are the patterns that people do tend to repeat? What are the traps that we fall into when we come out of evangelical spaces? Mm. Oh, you're asking? That's not rhetorical? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, audience, you can sit with that. <laughs> but Nate, thoughts? I have I have always have so many thoughts on this. But what comes to your mind? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the the cult followings are are very um, still very common. Uh, there are you know, thought leaders, quote unquote, in the progressive Christian spaces, in the ex-evangelical spaces that can, that, that can garner a following and a rabid following at that. Uh, and, and they will react to any kind of criticism the same way that evangelical pastors react to criticism, um, on their, Facebook pages and and they or their you know their social media or whatever platforms they're involved in, uh, they they are the gatekeepers of all of this information that they have. Um, there's a lot of plagiarism that that continues. I mean, you know, a lot of pastors tended to steal sermons and sermon illustrations from people that they are in community with. Often they would steal from women, and there's a lot of that still continuing in ex-evangelical spaces as well i see a lot of these 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 guys with big followings posting these images with um some pithy statement that's supposedly inspirational from an ex-evangelical point of view and then they'll stick their name on it um but they didn't they didn't come up with that they grabbed that from someone else um and then anybody who calls them out their followers will um, will go after them like flying monkeys. Um, so mm. the cult following is, is very common. I think that, that, that's and the still... cult of, of, I'm going to just say it, the cult of white men mm -hmm. yeah. is extremely popular in, even in deconstruction and in ex-evangelical spaces is just white men will still garner a lot more support and, followers just and i and that's it yeah. <laughs> it's literally because they're white men and we've been trained to put our support behind people who look like this and that gets taken out and and continues um like i'll see women of color i'll see um men of color uh you know white women anyone who's not a white man saying stuff that's way better and the white guy if he says he'd, he'd work half as hard and say half as much and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and often and often even that pattern of that white male pastor who has people who of those other communities doing the work for him and then he passes it off as his own still ends up being a thing in mm. these spaces. It still is a lot of other people putting him in the in the work, but their face, their white man face is still the one speaking out other people and the other people are not always getting credited for it and are working behind the scenes, you know. Mm. Um to make the difference and so i there's that piece just grieves me to know that people do carry those kind of things with them yeah. when they leave those spaces yep. um have a hard time opening up to to seeing a black woman's face or a trans person or anyone who's not that white cis het men mm -hmm. um up front telling them how to think and what to what to pay attention to yeah and i wish that's something that we could change in these spaces and yeah yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to see the cult, cult followings that kind of, kind of repeat the exact same, same patterns. Mm. Yeah, and you're right. The gatekeeping that happens, the deleting anyone who challenges you on your thoughts, and I'm okay with deleting stuff on your page when people come to troll you or, um, you know. But if people have legitimate, I'm, I'm thankful for people who have pushed back on different things that I've said, and 
unless people have like if people are not picking on a marginalized community and it, sometimes someone writes something on my page and I don't understand what they're trying to say and I'll just leave it alone and not comment because I don't or maybe I disagree but I still want them to be allowed to speak their thoughts that uh, different from mine I definitely if I see someone commenting about how all Christianity is terrible and atheism is the only way um, <laughs> that feels very evangelical to me when you're like the only way now to do it mm -hmm. is just to hate all things Christian. Like, it's all bad, it's all evil. But I usually leave it alone in the sense that Christianity as a whole has caused a lot of harm, and I think if you are in any healthy Christian spaces, you can acknowledge that. Otherwise, I'm suspicious of where, you, where you're really coming yeah. from. But I think that, you know, being extreme in one way, or, like, this is the exact way you have to believe now, I usually... I don't even engage those usually. I, le I leave it alone and I understand what the kind of pain and harm that's been done in the name of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So even if I don't agree, I rarely will. I mean, unless it's someone with a huge, massive following and they're ignoring, you know, queer Christians. And uh, there's, it's rare that someone comes on my page to to say how all Christianity sucks. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, but, but, you know. Right. Um, but if someone comes on to attack women as a whole, to put racist crap um, yeah, they're going to get, they're going to get deleted in yeah. fact. Like I, I'm not here to say, yes, everyone's opinion is, is equally valid and you can just come spout off any of the nonsense that harms people on my page. No. Um, but what I'm trying to address yeah, is we're also, sorry, real quick. I, I, I want to be able to cultivate community and pages and, and things, you know, content that is at the very least, a step towards safe for marginalized communities, particularly mm -hmm. for queer people, for trans people, for, for gay, bi, lesbian, like these are people that we care to be able to feel safe or feel like they can be heard on our pages. And when, when others show up with blatantly transphobic talking points, whether or not those those people espousing those points think they are transphobic or not when that stuff shows up. Yeah. We're obviously going to be coming down hard with the ban hammer on, uh, on, on those kinds of mm -hmm. comments. Cause that's, that's, that's the sort of stuff that we won't, uh, that we won't tolerate. But yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're like, like you were just saying, Gail, like if you're coming out with a, a, with a particular opinion that we may or may not agree with, or, or you feel strongly that like, you know, all religion is bad. Um, yeah. Like, as as long as you're not blasting anybody or or causing you know arguments <laughs> like causing a lot of drama then yeah we'll probably just leave it alone yeah anyway. we don't have we don't have to all think the same on everything and that's not i guess that's not my point with people trying to gatekeep it's more like you got a massive platform you're causing harm to a marginalized group that marginalized group starts telling you hey this is problematic and your response is delete 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 <laughs> ban ban delete anyone who doesn't and and the people calling you out you're the privileged one and the ones who are marginalized are telling you and you don't want to hear it that is when yeah you're the gatekeeper and we're repeating we're repeating those evangelical patterns um that does go on in in the deconstruction community often enough and yeah it's uh it's discouraging it's just and, and and i want to bring this up because i think when we leave evangelical spaces we feel like we're going to finally be with like-minded people we finally feel like ah now this is a safe place you know that the other place wasn't safe i'm going to enter into a safer place and there's a lot of just like there's a lot of narcissistic pastors and there's a lot of um people out there in the evangelical community looking for traumatized people to build themselves and use for their purposes, um, 
there are the same types of people that hang out in deconstruction spheres uh, looking to make profit off of people, looking to um, build their own, you know, platforms off of harmed people who have been traumatized from the evangelical communities that they've come out of and who will use and chew up and abuse. And uh, I, I found that out kind of quickly when I entered into deconstruction spaces, but it still makes me sad every time I see a new iteration of it happening. Like I, it's always very discouraging to watch that thing go on. And it, and I've seen it happen often enough that there's a piece of me that's like, oh, deconstruction community, ugh, you know, um, but also at the same time, I'm a part of that. So, you know, when, when, when people do the whole deconstruction, you know, I don't want to, don't talk about that forever. And I'm going to be beyond, I'm so beyond that. Like I want to heal and, and just never talk about that again. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, just speaking for myself, it's always going to be a part of my background and I'm not ashamed of that. Um, it's going to come up randomly throughout the rest of my life at different times. And I don't think healing is linear. I don't think you get to a, a finish line in your healing. I think, Things resurface over the course of our life. If we've grown up in our most formative years, we're full of indoctrination and brainwashing. That's not just going to pop off at some point. And I think the quicker we can accept that, the more we can move into an idea of healing that's trauma informed and that understands the way our nervous systems work, our bodies might respond to this, even when our minds catch up with understanding and undoing some of the wrong ways of looking at things. That physiologically, I mean, when you've been conditioned a certain way from childhood, stuff is still going to affect you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to hear hear a Christian song in a in a store and and get shivers, or like be in certain environments and just want to bolt. You know, and that's even if you've been out of there for a really long time. And I, I'm saying that because I think patterns evangelicals can bring out is the perfectionism, is this image that you have to have of being perfect, of complete healing, of getting to this finish line. I have run the good race. I have finished the, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith or what? Mm-hmm. Like this idea of this race, this marathon that you're going to cross over the finish line. You're going to be the great one. And it's a lot more, life is just a lot more messy than that. Yeah. So I think, and, and there's you know, only one great one and his name is Wayne Gretzky. So, you know, I didn't know where you were going <laughs> with that. I was a little bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh man. Yeah. So, I guess those are some of the pitfalls that I see. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little about Palestine and, and Israel about binary thinking. And I did have a thought on that. I've noticed in among privileged people, especially white people, um, m- among my own, uh, there tends to be a tendency to have a pushback against like, so I agree that binary thinking is is dangerous and bad. But I think you can be binary in your thought about binary thinking. Uh, try and follow me. I don't know if this makes any sense, right? But like, if you are like, black and white is bad. The only thing that counts is gray now. Like, gray is the only way to be. You can never be black. Never be black and white. Never. You hear that? Never? It is it is still the black and white thinking. It is that fear of ever. And I've seen this among white people of being told something is wrong. And I think in a lot of situations in life, they are much more complex. And we've been told this is bad. This is and then we we've learned that they were wrong and that actually what they called bad was good or fine or acceptable. And and so we just become weary of being told, you know, it's this fear over cancel culture. It's a fear over being told anything in a very definitive sort of a way. And I think that could be very binary in and of itself. If you're going to be more nuanced and understand, maybe most situations in life are complicated. Most, but not all, right, <laughs> you know, right. not all. Like if we're going to talk about racism, if we're going to talk about sexism, if we're going to, 
there are, there are times to hit ban and delete. There are times to, to be done with something, mm-hmm. to not give room for it. There are times to talk out, to speak out harshly on certain things. When people are dying, when there's genocide, ha- there are times where you need to be coming down on something without being tiptoey about it and gentle and nuanced. And like some things are straightforward. You know, if you are harming someone, even if the situations around it are complex, you can say genocide is evil. Yeah. You can say racism is bad. Yeah. You can say sexism. And I think, um, you know, the the environments that we came out of uh, taught us certain things, you know, taught us very black and white truths about certain things, right? Like, so black and white truth, Jesus died for your sins. And, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are going to hell for all eternity, right? So, you know, then we we walk out of those spaces and we, we you know, when, for instance, the Bible, Jesus, the gospel, the only, that's the only way to salvation. That's the only way true spiritual path, then we leave those ideas and spaces and we begin to develop maybe a sense of pluralism, right? And we want to uh, engage with uh, faith language that's different from the language that we came from, and we see beauty in all of these various spiritual conversations that are happening in, you know, all sorts of religious spaces um, and interfaith spaces. And that's great. And there are certainly nuances and gray areas, you know, that not any one religion is right or wrong. So, you know, we we leave those spaces. And, you know, another example, right? Maybe alcohol. Maybe you came from a church environment that would teach you alcohol is always bad. And then you get out of that space and you're like, wait, no, this is fun. I'm enjoying, you know, having drinks with friends and so on and so forth. But then there's some nuance there as well, because, you know, for some people who have, um, abuse, uh, alcohol abuse issues, alcohol's not good for them. For others, there's, there's some nuance in those areas. So we, so we go out into, into this new world and we want to carry that sort of non, non binary thinking and everything is on a spectrum. And sure, if you want to look at each concept through that lens, but there are certain things that the church always acted morally gray on that are when you exit the church environment, you start to realize, no, there there are some clear right and wrong, morally good, morally evil things when example right so for for example sexual abuse right and mm-hmm. the the church tended to act pretty funny when it came to sexual abuse right like we well the, the man who harmed you well maybe maybe it was an abuse maybe it was a messy relationship i'm telling you how like they grayed out the black and white mm-hmm. stuff right if yeah you were, if you were raped or harmed what were you how did you participate in the harm that was done to you like they really do try mm-hmm. and He's not the bad guy. We have to have grace and love for the one who abused you. And and how many pastors people end up giving standing ovations to them? Yeah. And yeah. after they get up and, and cry a few tears about how they, you know, they had a failing and they never are specific about what they've done. And mm-hmm. it's this graying. You're right. That's yeah. a great example. Suddenly the it's very of... complicated. It's all a very complicated situation mm-hmm. when it's pretty clear that there's a victim of sexual abuse here and there's somebody who abused their power here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, like this brings up a whole other conversation as well about how poorly the church teaches um, concepts such as consent, which is it's necessary for them to not teach consent because of the way that those hierarchies function. In any case, that's a yeah. conversation for another day. Um, 
But there's another case where yes or no matters, right? right. Like the the binaries, mm-hmm. right? Like, are you saying yes to doing something or no? Like, right. <laughs> we don't need to live in ambiguity in every single area. Mm-hmm. We sometimes we need to know where things are landing. Right, right. Otherwise, are we going to stand up against a predator in a church? Are we going to consent to something? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Like things where we need answers. Right. Otherwise, people will be harmed. Um. So mm-hmm. so yeah. So I think y- and, you know the the idea about binary thinking i think maybe flip it on its head when you leave the church i don't know it's it's worth it's worth really kind of analyzing and thinking through i mean for me the 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 principle to walk away with is is somebody going to be harmed by my desire to hold on to a spectrum of thought and to kind of not land in any particular, you know, one or the other viewpoint. If nobody is being harmed, then maybe this is a good uh, area to maintain some kind of nuance. But if somebody is going to be harmed by by that mentality... Your ambiguity? Yeah, mm-hmm. then absolutely. All sides, good people on all sides kind of talk. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and and it's true, like the whole... Um, often we are victims and villains and it's not all, you know, Marvel superhero. Here's the bad guy. Here's the good guy in life. We're all more complicated. But I think in situations of abuse that gets used, especially in Christian environments to excuse people who are predators, who are abusing their power mm-hmm. to downplay a lot of that stuff. And I think where I was going to with regard to white people specifically and how they handle the idea of, you know, you can't tell me things are wrong anymore because I came out of environments where they told me I had to think like this or I can't do this or whatever. And you telling me my behavior is harmful as you being you're being ex, you're being an evangelical with me because you're telling me what I have to do. I would say that a lot of times I think white people use the fear of binary thinking as an excuse to not take a stand and they will often misapply. Like I like that you gave examples um, of where you know, taking a firm stance is needed, where graying things is actually quite harmful. You gave some really concrete things in that. And I think um, often white people are very, I think where it comes from, probably there's a few things, but one of them is, one of them is actually very evangelical. It's this idea of needing to be perfect. And so the idea of having any yes or no on things means you could be wrong. And white people often struggle with being wrong. They often struggle with that whole perfectionism thing of the supremacy idea, (laughs) the idea that you get it all right. So now if there are no right or wrong on anything, then you can't be called out on anything. Then that feels like a safe place. And I think it's a fear of change, of growth, of wanting to be challenged when you are making a mistake, of a desire to never make mistakes. And I think that needs to go. Like, I think that is something that needs to change. Um... I want to give a shout out to the Thereafter podcast with Megan Crozier and Cortland Coffee. They run a great podcast. I know they even talked right in their intro about, you know, living in the binaries. No, no, no shade on them with my oh, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want to I want to actually give a plug. They they did two episodes on deconstruction uh, recently. I'm going to say the month of November. There's two different ones in the last you know couple of weeks that they've put out talking about this. And, you know, they talk about enjoying pushback, enjoying people disagreeing with them. And I know even in my Discord, I've had moments where I've, with them, <laughs> disagreed on different things. And I've gotten a, from Megan, you know, a thank you. I've gotten an appreciation for that. And, um, you know, you could, it, it's, uh, it's always refreshing when you have people who are, you know, they're able to, they see that as important. The idea of being able to admit when you're wrong, uh, being able to grow and being allowed to make mistakes. 
Um, and actually, there's something that Megan had said in, in her episode that I found challenging. Um, she was, you know, kind of critiquing people who are like, you know, you've only been out of deacon, out of evangelicalism for a little bit. You know, you should sit down. And she's kind of laughing at that. And honestly, I've made those comments like I have Megan, you are speaking directly to me and I take your <laughs> challenge and I take your rebuke and I appreciate it at the same time and in my defense and I'll grow and learn from it. But I do think that sometimes when we speak quickly about stuff that we haven't had time to sit with or process, we can end up still doing a lot of harm. Um, and I think there's a lot that can be done by taking a step back for a bit and just learning and listening. And I think for myself anyway, that's one of the, the things that I've seen happen and unfold in terms of harm that's sometimes done in deconstruction spaces yeah. is, you know, people can be very reactionary without actually taking the time to maybe do some therapy, to do some learning, to do some growing. But what I really loved is she was just talking about how there needs to be more voices in the community and not less, mm -hmm. you know, and that this idea of what you were saying, you know, people amassing these massive followings where they become the new, the new mega, mega church leader in the deconstruction zone. <laughs> and she was like, no, there's, you know, if you're thinking, should I start when there's already a lot of voices? Yes, you should. More people are necessary. You know, we don't, it's not just about filling a, Okay, now we got the Asian podcast, we got the black podcast, we got the woman podcast. No, you should be listening to many Asian people. You should be listening to many women. You should, one voice does not speak for everyone. We all have a multitude of perspectives. And yeah, listen to more people, not less. Yeah. So, so having said give that, it, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just, I did want to give a shout out to, to, to one of our Dauntless yeah. uh, pod, podcasts so having said that, that I feel is. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, I'm done. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So having said that, uh, I think it's worth, you know, tossing out a, a couple plugs out there. Um, a podcast that I really enjoy and I've interacted with, with the hosts, uh, on, on a few occasions, um, is, uh, how gay thou art. And both of the hosts come from a very similar Christian background to my own, this sort of fundamentalist, um, Christian background there. Both of the hosts are queer and they sort of go through their Christian history through the lens of, um, of queer people. And it's beautiful. It's funny. They are hysterical. Uh, so I really enjoy that. They talk, I don't know if, if, if you're like me and you grew up go like as a kid going to Awana, they have an episode about Awana, and it's great. It's well-researched, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, plug for them. That's one voice that I would highly recommend. Um, you had mentioned the Thereafter podcast. Uh, there are a whole slew of, uh, of other podcasts, both you know within our Dauntless Media Collective network of podcasts. There's the Irreverent Media Group that has a number of podcasts there. And then there's also a brand-new group that uh, some of our own um, producers here at Dauntless Media Collective have gotten involved with uh, Bradley Onishi and the work that he's doing in developing a, a more academic kind of group of, of, uh, of educational podcasts around a lot of these topics that we talk about here at Dauntless and at a Irreverent Media Group. Um, and that, Ooh, I'm glad you went there. Yeah, that group is called Access, Access Mundi. Mundi. And uh, they're doing they they've they basically are bringing together scholars who are looking at the world at large, particularly through this lens of deconstruction and decolonization and kind of seeing how that's affecting, you know, our society 
from a more academic lens than some of our podcasts are. So I recommend going ch- going and checking out Axis Mundi's work as well. Oh man, so we were doing recommendations and before you even brought up Axis Mundi, I was I was going to mention On God's Campus, which is one of those mm. actually. And uh, uh, one of the recent ones I listened to was actually an episode um, with Brad Onishi talking about white Christian nationalism, um, which a lot of the Axis Mundi stuff does from different angles. And On God's Campus is specifically focused in general on, uh, it's the queer queer voices from the queer underground going into basically Christian schools and kind of the history in the U.S. I mean, they they did a great job with Bob Jones, your alma mater, in one of their episodes. They've talked about it quite a bit. Um, They also... I mean, Brad's episode recently was just phenomenal and unpacking a lot of, you know, when when you're coming out of evangelical culture and what why you'd even get sucked into that and and what it looks like coming out of that and his own journey. It was fascinating, but also tying it to a lot of the history of why evangelicals took up abortion as a cause, (laughs) the segregation. Mm -hmm. They just went all over the place and helping understand a bigger zoom out lens of where we are right now in the U.S. and how it ties into what's going on today in education and all over. So I want to give a plug for that. Um, check that episode out. I'm trying to think some of the other ones I really, I mean, I mentioned straight white American Jesus when it came to Israel and Palestine, but I also mentioned the Bible ben- benevolence. So I have to give a plug. That episode um, called The Good Book was great. Mm. It really helps people who are deconstructing a uh, very evangelical understanding of the Bible. And I think those conversations really do need to happen, like to understand what it serves to believe in inerrancy and the harm that comes out of it, to understand why that was created, to understand what it does, yeah. to look at to look at scripture in that kind of a lens, um, the harm that it does to people groups. So mm-hmm. I want to give a plug for that. Oh, man. Oh, Veterans of Culture War. Oh, yeah. Veterans of Culture Wars. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um, Zach and... They, Dave, David, David Lester, Dave Lester. Yeah, they do. Um, they do a great podcast. Again, I don't listen to too many white men, but uh, as Zach said, he's been in therapy and that's helpful. <laughs> that is helpful <laughs> when you're listening to white men that they've taken the time to unpack. And actually, their hundredth episode is what I wanted to plug. They do one on um, religious trauma. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be really relevant to people listening to this. I have so many religious yeah. trauma podcasts, things I've listened to recently uh, that have been really helpful not going to go through them all but yeah that one was great um i learned a lot from it it was it was really vulnerable episode two of zach giving some of his own story um yeah i do a lot of traveling to get from from nate to me so i do a lot of podcasts listening to and wanted to share some good resources out there for for those coming out of these spaces yeah and um if you're also looking for uh more collaborative or interactive resources um you would mention the thereafter podcast um so Megan and Cortland from the Thereafter podcast are getting together with Tori and Justin from the Go Home Bible Your Drunk podcast, and they're putting on an event in Portland uh, on the weekend or uh, on February 17th and 18th. Actually, I don't know if that's a weekend. It might be because it's two days. I am not looking at a calendar right now. So uh, it's on February 17th and 18th, 2024. Uh, and the event is called Content Warning. So if you're looking for like a collaborative space, just a space to share ideas and interact with other folks who have come out of a very you know, oppressive religious structure, particularly when it comes to uh, human sexuality, this is 
the event for you. There is both an in-person and virtual. I think purity culture is the is yes. the theme. Purity culture yeah. is the theme that that's where the the, the conversations are going to be on. They've got a, a number of podcasters and uh, therapists and authors. Just people are going to be getting together to share thoughts, experiences, and ideas. So there's going to be it's going to be happening online and in person. If you happen to live in or around the Portland, Oregon area or have or or will be in that area um, on all the cool stuff yeah. happens on the West Coast. <laughs> no, they really are like activists out there. I feel like the East Coast were like a bunch of just like, yeah, yeah. We, we tend to operate in silos out here. I think the well, yeah. from from my time, it's the culture. Yeah. From my time visiting the West Coast, I've noticed that they, they live at a very different pace of life than we do out here. And um, they seem to have they more... slow down enough to build community, yeah. whereas maybe out here it's a little more hectic. They have more time. It's almost like they have more time to to build these sorts of things. Whereas out here on the East Coast, we're kind of like in our little silos because, you know, our, our nine to fives are taking up uh, all of our energy and, and attention. But anyway, uh, yeah, if you're if you're out on the West Coast, go go check that out. Or, or if you want to do it online, um, I don't know that that info is out there but there is a website so uh just head over to contentswarningevent.com and all of that info should be out should be out there um and then i'll give ourselves a plug particularly the dauntless media collective you know gail you were talking about how people who want to add their voices if you're um if you're even considering if you've come out of uh an oppressive religious structure whether that's evangelicalism or you know, an, another form of oppressive religion, and you want to share your story, whether that's religious trauma, spiritual abuse, whatever that looks like, and you're thinking a podcast might be the avenue, talk to us, you know, shoot us a message on the Dauntless Media Collective. We would love to speak with you, to share resources, and possibly even have you join our network if um, if that suits if that suits us either way, we are more than happy to help. We've got a number of people who are always willing to share resources and even to just give advice for any new podcasters. So if you're out there thinking I have a story I want to tell, or I think that I have ideas that I want to get out there. Look, you know, podcasting is fun. It's, it can develop great friendships. And I I think the more of our podcasts that are out there, the better, because I took a look at the religion and spirituality category on, on Apple podcasts, and it's still pretty dominated by (laughs) the, the, the people and groups that we all came from. So the more voices that are out there like ours, I think the better the podcasting world would be. So, you know, if you like, especially for, for those of you out there who are like, I, I think this is something that I would want to do, but I have no idea how to even start even if we aren't necessarily a great fit for each other, our you know network and you and your podcast, we are more than willing to give you advice, to shoot you some resources online, to help you get started doing this thing. Yeah. Because the, the more of us telling these stories out there, the better. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much all we wanted to talk about, right? Do we want to? I mean, we're kind of like, you guys have been sticking it out with us for a while. It's going to, this has been a long run on conversation all over the map. When we wrote our bullet points down, we were like, 
wow, this is this is going to be a long conversation because just what we we thought we jotted down like five, ten things. And we're like, all right, yeah, this will take a long time to cover. And then we've kind of gone off on a lot of tangents. But do we want to did we want to end with any of the TV shows we've been in? I know we talked about podcasts we've been listening to, but any shows we've been into lately, any stuff we've been watching? Well, I'm, you know. I don't know if, if if you know me, if you happen to be one of my friends, you probably know that one of my favorite shows is um, Doctor Who, which, which, like, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say guilty pleasure, because I am, I am proud of, of that. But I'm also like, it's so nerdy. It's, it's, it's a very, very nerdy show. Um, but I love it. I've loved I've loved it since I started watching it like way back in the if you if you happen to be a Whovian, which is the nickname for um for Doctor Who fans. So so we all like Whovians tend to calculate their time with the show by which doctor they started watching. I started watching towards the end of 10 and I really kind of dove into the show in earnest with, you know, from start to finish with 11. So I would say probably my doctor would be Matt Smith with a nod to uh, David Tennant's first run as the doctor. But yeah, so we were, we were my favorite doctor that <laughs> I'm starting with is Shuti Gatwa. And in fact, I probably wouldn't be even trying to dive into Doctor Who if I didn't love Shuti. I don't know if any of our audience pod- people listening have ever watched sex, sex education that is a show we binged watched recently and it was i feel like if you if you've come out of evangelicalism you will find this maybe hard to watch in the sense that it's graphic at times and you know we've been taught to be so ashamed of bodies and sex and all of that so it that's the hurdle but if you're willing to like push yourself past that and actually dis- have these discussions we've never had you know watch what consent can look like watch you know the struggles of of different topics related to sex that are never discussed that kind of all get ignored inside of evangelicalism they go everywhere they really take you through different things and such healthy topics that they get into that need to be discussed i mean consent's an obvious one um but i mean there's just so much represent representation whether it's asexuality um they 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 really take it in so many different mm. directions and show all the varieties of people that exist um and yeah the ways that sex can be healthy the unhealthy views around sex um a lot touching on misogyny oh there was just so many powerful scenes i feel like i almost feel like i want to do a uh you know, have a few episodes on sex education at some point with people who want to talk about this with me because I loved it. But yeah, Shuti Gatwa was amazing in that yeah. show. Yeah, so if you, if you was... don't know actors' names, if you're one of those people who like watch a TV show and never learn the actors' names, but you have watched Sex Education, me. Shuti Gatwa played Eric Effiong, and he was probably my favorite character in in the show. Uh, like, I'll be yeah. honest, he just, it's his presence, his energy... Oh, and his storyline, his storyline around being, uh, being queer and Christian at the same time. Mm. And what that looks like, you know, black community, there was, and it was fun too. usually covering somebody who's a queer Christian. It's like, again, the idea of, of a monolith, the idea of a one person story versus hearing many stories, right? Like there was two different characters in in that show that were both queer ex-Christian. Well, one was an ex-Christian, one wasn't, but came out of those backgrounds and had different approaches, Mm -hmm. different takes, different ways that that impacted them and different ways that they were going to go forward because of their experiences. And I found that to be so rich. Like, it's rare enough to have the topic discussed, but then beautiful to see 
the validity of different approaches um, to situations like that that happen and the complexities around it. So yeah, had to give a plug for sex education. So, so that's that's our exposure to Shutigatwa. So when I found out that Shutigatwa was going well i when i found out that shuti was going to be the next doctor i didn't actually know who he was because I, I i didn't i hadn't watched sex education at that point so the only thing that i saw in the article was uh the first black doctor and the first um openly gay actor to play the part of the doctor so i was like awesome this is what we've needed but i had no idea who he was and then watching sex education I did. I, I think watching such education, I don't think it, it dawned on me that this was the guy that was announced to play the doctor until a little bit later. And I started like, you know, doing Googling about sex education and is there going to be a season four? There's not going to be a season four, unfortunately. But um, when I started doing that Googling, I stumbled on that article that showed, you know, that that unveiled Shuti Gatwa as the new doctor. And I about lost my shit. I was like, he's playing the doctor. I'm all on board. And that I had actually kind of taken some time off of Doctor Who because I was getting, it was losing my attention. The last uh, few series, which was really unfortunate because I was so excited about the fact that we had the first female doctor, but uh, the storylines just weren't gripping. You know, we would get a few really good episodes here and there, but by and large, it just wasn't. Yeah, when well, yeah. when men are writing for women, it's not always gripping, even if women are playing the characters. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So so I had kind of lost touch with the show, but then seeing that announcement brought me right back, and I was like, okay, let me let me get caught up. And it didn't take long for me to get caught up. I think I was only one season behind, which was in 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 Doctor Who. It was only six episodes or eight episodes I had to catch up on. So. Um, I'll let you get back to Doctor Who talk, but I I did want to add one more shooty comment. I didn't even realize that he was in the Barbie movie mm. because I watched Barbie before Sex Education. So like then I was like, what? He was one of the Kens because there were so many Kens at some mm-hmm. point that were all in the, in that. And I mean, Similiar was amazing. Other Canadian, yeah. by the way. Um, but I had to go back and rewatch those scenes just to rewatch Shuti was one of the Kens, and um, and then like, it, oh, yeah, it turned out Emma Mackey it. was also one of the Barbies, and they were each other's. Barbie right. and Ken. Emma Mackey, for those who don't know actors' names, yes. played Maeve, yep. one of the main characters in Sex Education. Yeah, they were both. They mm-hmm. That's true. They were both in Barbie. Yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah, we did watch those in the wrong order. We should have started with... <laughs> most people had already watched yeah, Sex Education. True. We were a little behind. Mind, yeah. um, so if you're behind and you have not watched it, I think it just wrapped up its last season. So yeah. you won't be super behind no, if you go and binge watch it all. It's so and be- bingeable, that show. Like, you could, yes. you could watch that yes. show in a week easily and... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's unless you're, you're doing what we do and watching sh- what we were doing and watching shows long distance with each other and only having a set number of hours per evening. But, um, anyway, so Dr. Who shooty got was playing the new doctor and the, we're also at the 60th anniversary of the show. And I was, you know, excited to dive back into the show at its 60th anniversary and the three, so they had three episodes as, you know, specials. And I think maybe we'll put out like a maybe put out a Patreon episode where I go on ad nauseum about my feelings about the show and narrative itself. But I think what I, what's worth talking about in this conversation is how the show is now really paying attention to representation and paying attention to how it 
brings about or, or, or brings to the forefront its marginalized um, characters and and go woke or go right, broke mm-hmm. names. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as but I mean, you d- I did watch a few of the older episodes and mm, on those topics. Yeah, mm. some of them, mm. some of them not so great. I mean, over over the course of time, the show did improve uh, over the years. Um, but there's a certain writer who just keeps on stumbling over and over and over again. Which, you know, we'll leave that alone for now. In any it case, has a lot of thoughts on Doctor I do have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I hear a lot of them. So that's why I've attempted to watch Doctor Who, because I was like, he's so passionate, you know. And I don't have to like everything Nate likes. There's a lot of things he's into that are not my thing. But I'm especially not big into horror. Suspense are not my genres. Um, suspense I can if there's a very deep, meaningful storyline. But I think like the first episodes that I've ever watched of Doctor Who felt very goosebumps to me, like. I don't know if any of you read the Goosebumps books or TV show back in the day, but they had that vibe for me, which I love nerd stuff. Like I'm a big Trekkie, but there's a level of cheese or cringe or camp that I just, it's too much for me. And yeah, that one, I guess maybe the ones I fell on in the beginning were just not, not it for me. So I did watch the recent, you know, intro to Shoot You Got One's Doctor and I will try and see what I can stick out with. Although I did skip the second episode. Nate yeah, I, I figured too, it, it would more be more on the horror side. Yeah. It's, it's so campy that it might tone down the horror, but the, the, the overall tone of that episode is pretty much horror with like camp as elements tossed in there. So I don't know that that would really be for you, Gail, but a lot of, I feel like that's, Sorry, that's a love language. If you are with a partner who literally will screen a show that you probably won't like and pick out the best highlights and just play them for you, that's 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 got to be. I mean, I know the love languages books don't have that in it, but <laughs> I just think that they should be added in to have a partner who is like, oh, what was the other show you did that with me recently? It was so good. It was oh, so Oh, yeah. So Good Omens. So You're good. not a good, a good Omens fan. You watched the first season and it wasn't for you. It didn't It wasn't for me. But then there was some scenes in season two, mm-hmm. and I have to recommend it to all ex-evangelical people, but it was on the story of Job. They redid, yeah. and I mean, if, if you're a Doctor Who fan, this actually does tie together because David Tennant, yeah. and yeah, he's he's one of the main characters in Good Omen. He's he's the bad, he's the demon. <laughs> um, but they really play with the idea, though, is he the bad guy in it? Because often the things God is telling the good angel to do is really like just awful. And the story of Job just kind of goes through that in a very... I mean, I think the amazing part of watching that was like, if you know your Bible, and I grew up a Bible nerd, this was accurate. Uh-huh. Like, they did bene- Bible benevolence at the ending, and the demon actually was kind of nicer than what was actually in the story of Job and how things did turn out. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, it was, a, you know, maybe a nicer version. It was like a VeggieTales version, you know, <laughs> like where... the. <laughs> genocide is just throwing slushy at people you know like it was kind of made into to soften the whole blow of how horrific it really was in this but the beginning is like literally almost word for word out of the bible and it's hilarious and horrifying and fascinating to and i think a lot of us read parts of the bible and uh christians put spins on it and try and make it all look like see god is good and even if it doesn't make sense here is a positive spin it actually sounds worse when they're done talking you just feel even more frustrated with all the stuff they're <laughs> overlooking all the obvious points that are just you know being twisted into something else so it doesn't look bad exactly that the bible benevolence the mm-hmm. stuff you're doing to try and clean up god's image in that story and this this episode I don't even know what the, the episode number is, but it's in season two. I think Google it was it, episode you know, two. Job. Yeah. Episode two of season two. Uh, yeah. 
fascinating yeah. i mean I'll, I'll ultimately I, just watch it through because if you are i mean good omens I, I know it's not your style gail but like from for for the average ex-evangelical who's a bit nerdy good omens is sort of ideal and neil neil gaiman is well known for being very vocally supportive of queer people and the trans community he's very anti jk rowling which is always hysterical but he, so he's the one that wrote the um the book that the tv show is based off of and he's like his work is kind of perfect for ex-evangelicals because he's he likes to take that sort of critical look at traditional ideas about you know the bible and religion through a very humorous a dark dark humor kind of way so mm-hmm. yeah i highly recommend um good omens if you are going to watch it, just watch it straight through. Don't just like jump to, to an episode. If you are not interested in the show itself, episode two of season two is the one that has the retelling of of Job's story that that Gail was was talking about. So hilarious! Yeah. You can even find clips on YouTube. It's yeah. so good. It's so good. Yeah. So um, brilliant. Yeah. So um, oh, we didn't even touch on on why I was bringing up Doctor Who for this conversation. <laughs> Uh, but we're almost at two hours, so um, so maybe maybe we should um, save that for another another conversation. Wait, is that not something you could throw into your into the Patreon conversation? No, that I, you I'd, have I'd, on? I'd rather talk about that. You know, outside of outside from behind a paywall, I don't want to put that you know put that behind there. So this has been. I don't want to say we're burdening you with making this episode long. I want to say this. You've missed us, hopefully, if you're bothering to tune back in after all this time. (laughs) This is our thank you for being patient with us. We're giving you a nice long episode and just going through a whole bunch of thoughts that we've had as we've been away, what we've been up to, what we've been watching on TV, stuff with our wedding. We just wanted to kind of let you into, yeah, into our thoughts, into our our space lately where we've been at. And and thank you. And throw out a longer episode because it's been a long time and... We're happy that you're still somehow clicking play on us and missing us and we're touched. So, so yeah, I hope you've enjoyed coming along for the ride. Yeah. Alrighty. Stay tuned. We've got some good stuff coming up soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and pretty much every other podcast app. Just search for Full Mutuality on your app of choice or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, for links to all of the apps that you can subscribe to us on. And if you enjoyed what you've heard, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website. A quick review is one of the best ways you can support us. Speaking of support... You can also partner with us on Patreon. For just $5 US a month, you'll be helping us produce this podcast and you'll get access to other content such as exclusive episodes, access to occasional live-streamed recording sessions, and more. Just head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to sign up. Thanks again for hanging out with us today, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.